I want to thank you for the kind words and cards. I haven't read them all. This is my first Sunday back inside the church um, uh, for a few weeks, so I will get a chance to read those and uh, to be able to um, see what has been said, but I want to thank you for that. Uh, I'll just acknowledge it's been a rough few weeks <laughs> right off the bat, um, much to uh, God's graciousness to carry us through it all. Uh, so we're very, very, very thankful for that. I know when Paul was giving the announcements, uh, I was in the other room sitting down, and I thought I heard a couple of amens when they said we're going to all be together. <laughs> so that is exciting. And uh, I just want to acknowledge that it's going to be different for everybody. And uh, it was uh, a couple of funeral events with relatives um, over the last couple of weeks. And um, it was different because some of them didn't have masks on. And after two years, when someone came close to me, I'd be going like this. I felt like I was Michael Jackson or something, <laughs> you know, doing the moonwalk backwards. And um, so that's what it's going to be like here. So just be patient and pray for one another. It's going to be different. I know there will be those that will have those mass burning parties because I've heard them. I can give you the addresses later where they'll be taking place. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, other people are going to want to wear their masks to church for a while still. But we'll show grace and love towards one another and understanding and kindness and all the things that we should do. And uh, we'll make it through one step at a time, walking with one another as a family should. A few weeks ago, TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, uh, they have an app, and they aired the Sight and Sound Theater production of Moses. I don't know if anybody caught that or not. Um, I know a few people that have had the privilege to go down to the States and to view one of the many Bible stories live and have quite enjoyed it. Uh, Moses, I believe, for Marjorie and I, was the third production I think we've seen since the pandemic started, and they started airing them over the app. And uh, it was, it's very enjoyable. I'm a, I'm a sap for musicals, so uh, I enjoy them, and the ones that we have watched have stayed true to Scripture. Um, and uh, they've been really good. But as we watched the story of Moses, and as we watched it unfold, I began to ponder, what would have been like to be a neighbor of Moses, to have grown up beside Aram, Amran, and I always make this wrong, Jochebed, and their kids, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. What would it be like to watch that unfold and live next door to them. The stories you would have heard, how they raised a boy for a few years and, and later gave that young child over to the palace and to the princess to be raised as an Egyptian prince. The brother of the family next door that you never knew was none other than the Egyptian prince Moses. And he was a Hebrew like you. You may, you may have been one of the first to hear of Moses fleeing at the age of 40 once it became publicly known that he had murdered an Egyptian and he left the land and ran. Forty years later, 40 years pass, and this Moses shows up again. He returns. He's now 80 years old. You heard that, right, seniors? He's serving the Lord now, 
and leading the nation, and he's 80 years old. I think I have insert Sunday school needs right now. Um, and he goes before Pharaoh, and he demands the release of his people as per direction from God. Let my people go. He asked Pharaoh to let my people go. God shows the power that he has through the plagues. He shows the power of his, of his personhood, his being, to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, to the Hebrews, and to the whole world around as those plagues let loose. Matter of fact, the final plague is remembered to this day. We re how is it remembered? Well, that's the celebration of Passover. Imagine if you were an eyewitness to all of this. Once Pharaoh had enough, he allowed the people to go. As you, do, as you depart Egypt, your oppressors, the people that ruled over top of you, so desirous to see you leave, were actually handing you objects of value to sort of get you out of there quicker. Handing you... There would have been a, a, a carnival-like celebration. After 400 years of bondage, finally an opportunity to set your own course as a nation. And as you make your way through the desert, the joy that might have been with inside the nation as they traveled. Wow, we're free, free at last. And then what happens? Well, they get word. They get word that Pharaoh is now chasing them and getting closer. How would have you reacted as you edged to the Red Sea? Nowhere to go. And you hear Pharaoh and his army is coming. How would have you reacted? What would have you thought of? We know what the nation thought. We know how they reacted. We can read it in Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. They said to Moses, it's, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what he, we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Think about it. All that they experienced, all that they had witnessed and taken in, God's power on display, and they complained, showed a lack of trust. And by no means was this the first time, by no means was this a rare occasion, or would it be a rare occasion for the nation of Israel? When they were thirsty in the desert, they cried out, but not to God. Again, from Exodus, a few chapters later, chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. So once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? Our children? livestock with thirst 
The journey to the promised land is full of examples of murmuring and complaining. They were upset over no water, bitter water, lack of food. They were upset over manna, over Moses' leadership. I mean, in Numbers 14 we read, and the people, all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. In Exodus 32, Moses has gone too long for their liking. So they begin to grumble and complain to Aaron. And they ask Aaron, build us something to worship. Aaron gives in and he builds them a golden calf to worship. And often when we preach this passage, when we focus on that particular passage in Exodus, we focus on the grumbling and we focus on the 3,000 people that stood against the Lord that were eventually put to death. But tucked away in that story is one little verse that I want to draw your attention to. That's verse 25 of Exodus 32. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. I don't really think I ever noticed that verse. Let me read it again. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. In his Exodus commentary, S.R. Driver states, the last two words of the verse read literally, for whispering among those who rose up against them. The foes would have mocked and derided them when they heard that they had abandoned the God who had led them out of Egypt. Israel had become a laughingstock. The brunt of jokes to their SNL of their day. After all that Yahweh had done for them, after all that He'd done for the nation, for bringing them out of Egypt, when things got a little rough, they began to complain and murmur and mumble and grumble. All of us in this room have witnessed in some form or another, in the media, the church being the brunt of a joke. Being mocked or used for the amusement of the world. Unfortunately, all too often, that joking is nothing to do with what we believe. Well, that does happen. I mean, I get it right now that our sexual ethics as Christians, are very, very different than the world. And for that, they call us haters and they mock us at times. I understand that. But more often, the amusement is at our expense. At our expense is a result of non-biblical stands and actions and a showing of lack of love for one another. A real love. And when we disagree with other, each other and how we act towards one another, well, sadly, this is what is mocked and this is what the world finds amusement in. More often than not, it's well-deserved. And that's something we have to face facts with. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning, we open up the book of Philippians. Father, take the message from Paul, from yourself, for the words that we read, Help us to understand them, to apply them to our lives. Learn to live for you in such a manner that we shine brightly in our community. 
We thank you for this word, and now we ask that you'll guide us through the rest of the morning. In Christ's name, amen. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, where we'll spend our time this morning. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in, that, in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Just five short verses. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Or you could say, do everything without complaining and arguing. Remember our context. The context is a call to practice all things without muttering and arguments. Paul had written the need for believers to follow Christ's lead in humility. For us to learn to be second. To take a back seat to our own desires and wants. To live in obedience. Yan covered this last week. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now I'm away. It is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So part of the obedience, part of living in obedience to God is do all things without grumbling or disputing. See, the word grumble denotes the idea of mumbling complaints underneath your breath. And coupled with the idea of disputing, that's a reference towards complaining or arguing with others, stirring up dissension or strife. And may I suggest this has been an issue in churches across our country throughout this pandemic. In my discussion with pastors, in my reading of leadership journals, and listening to podcasts, this has been a huge issue. There are more pastors in North America that are ready to resign or have resigned from churches in decades. No matter what pastors did or leadership did in a church, they got it from both sides, from people who knew better. For cooperating in love and out of love, leaders were called co-conspirators, cowards for not speaking out, not speaking the word in truth, which became code language for a lack of compassion for the other side. Even those passages that once seemed clear that God had placed authorities over us became battlefields. And if you didn't agree with the other person, you became a target for ridicule. You are not fit to be a leader in the church. And that's not to say church leaders were perfect. That's not to say that church leaders didn't learn as they went through the pandemic. That's not saying that there weren't adjustments. That's not saying that there were not mistakes made. 
Because that is all true. But there was no playbook on how to guide a church through a pandemic. The leaders I have spoken to have admitted to lots of prayer, doing what they thought was best before the Lord to love their people and to show love to their community and to hold on to the mission, the mission that we must never lose, were to make disciples. That's what Christ had sent us out to do. On the other side of the polarization, church leadership could never do enough concerning following the health guidelines. Emails poured in, and in some cases, health units were contacted. Leaders were told they lacked love. Leadership was condemned for, in their words, this is the other side, saying, well, yeah, you're giving lip service to handling the pandemic and listening to the government, but in reality, you're ignoring them. You're bending and skirting the rules and issue. So no matter what happened, you heard it from both sides. And added to the stress to this mix was another group of individuals. You ever heard the story of the little boy that was getting it from his dad? He was being disciplined by dad, and his dad was talking to him, and the son was standing there. Dad looked at him, he said, sit down. The son said, no. And things began to escalate. Dad said, sit down. So finally, the boy went to sit down, and under his breath, he could be heard mumbling, I might be sitting down on the inside, but I'm standing up on, or I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Well, there was that side added to all. In all this, the love that the family of God should have for each other was lost. Philippians 2.14 was tossed aside. As all this happened, I can't help but remember the verse in Deuteronomy concerning the golden calf. As the people got completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. I get that's a loose translation, but the principle holds. Unfortunately, many churches lost their flavor during these last two years. Its focus on disciple-making was lost. And the world around us was amused at our responses. The church was mocked. No glory for God was brought forward. God was not honored. And we need to think about that. I think we need to grieve. Maybe not you individually. Maybe not this whole church individually. But I know that the hearts of pastors across our land today are grieving. Philippians 2.15. Oh, before I go there. Our obedience to the Word of Jesus Christ, to the Word of God, flows out of our love for the Lord. Being second in the ability to do that flows out of our love for the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit grows in our life and that comes from our love for the Lord. Our witness to the world around us flows out of our love to the Lord. True religion is never mere compliance. And and Paul has a reason for saying all this about mumbling and complaining. Look at verse 15 with me. Philippians 2.15 That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation 
among whom you shine as lights in the world. Why do we do all things without mumbling and arguing and complaining so that no one can criticize us? That you and I may be found blameless in the judgment of others. One commentator said, literally, so that we may be unmixed or unadulterated, that is, without any admixture of evil in our hearts. The whole concept is that you and I be found innocent. Paul refers to the Philippian believers as children of God. Like the Philippian believers, you and I are positionally right before God. We are positionally perfect before the Lord. But we have to work out our salvation. We have to work things out practically in our lives. Which means leaving behind our strife, bickering, despite living in a world that Paul refers to as crooked or corrupt, twisted, depraved, perverted, distorted. The believer is called to live above all that. You might say the believer is called to live counterculture. And when we do, we shine as lights in a dark, dark world. The idea is that you and I become torchbearers. Even better yet, the idea of harbor lights. Have you ever been out on the lake at night when it's dark out? Anybody done that? Okay, we've, we've done some canoeing up north and we've been out after dark. And when you're out after dark, you have to scan the other shoreline and you try to pick out the harbor or the dock that you came from and you look for those lights and then you set your course and for Marjorie and I it was canoeing. So we set the canoe and we started paddling. We looked for those lights, those shoreline lights, those harbor lights. Drawing nearer, those lights ensured they could guide you correctly to the dock or to the harbor that you were once in before when it was light out. See, that's what you and I are to be. We're to be harbor lights for a dying world. We're to be harbor lights so that they can find refuge in the one that our lights point to, Jesus Christ. Just think about that. We're called to be a lighthouse to guide people safely to shore. So when people see you individually or when people see us collectively as Forest Baptist Church, it stands as a lighthouse to this community, a place of refuge where our lives all point to Christ, where they can come safely to. I know a couple um, from years ago. They were thinking of moving churches and leaving their church. And we know that happened a lot in the pandemic. But one of the guiding principles they had is they wanted to leave well. And they had a reason they wanted to leave well. There was a family they were ministering to in the community. And that family had come out to some of the men's events at that local church that they attended. Now, there were no issues. They were not running away for issues. Any issue that there had been, they had gone and they had talked uh, to the leadership of the church. Matter of fact, there was a, 
a, a issue in regards to, it wasn't doctrinal, it was actually regards to philosophy of ministry. And they had talked to the pastor and the leadership about that issue. They felt that they were heard. Now, it didn't change the direction of the church. They continued down that path. There was a, a bit of a disagreement, but they submitted themselves to the leadership of that church. They continued to work in leadership. They continued to serve at that local church for a number of years after that. What led to the changing of churches was simply this. They did not go to a neighborhood church. And as the community grew and grew, it took longer and longer for them to be involved. That was one. And then the other issue was their children started coming home from school. And they had made friends with all these kids that went to the local Fellowship Baptist Church not too far from where they lived. So they prayed about it, and they said, we, we think we should go to the other church simply so our children are on Sunday with the same people they're on Monday through Friday with. That will help strengthen them that way. So they went to the church they were attending. They let them know what their thoughts were. They let them know their concerns about this other family they had been witnessing to. They talked with the leadership. Then they went down to the neck to the neighborhood church one Sunday, kind of scoped things out a little bit. Then they talked to the leadership at that church and the pastoral staff. This church decided to phone back to this church just to make sure that everything was as it appeared to be. And when they called the original church, the pastor there said, no, no, it's fine. They've talked to us. We'll understand why they want to do it. They have our blessing. Not an issue. You won't have any problems with them. So a day was announced at their home church when they were leaving. The pastor at the end of the service made announcement. They prayed over the family that was leaving. A matter of fact, the majority of the church went back after the service to shake their hands and say goodbye. So all was leaving well. They went to the family that they had witnessed to and spent time with and explained why they were switching churches. It seemed well with the family they had been sharing the gospel with. So when he started attending men's events at the new church, the couple that they had been witnessing to came with them to the new events and new outreaches and different things they were doing there. In time, the husband who had grown up in church came to faith in Christ. Then the wife accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Then their young teen son came to faith in Christ. And finally, their older boy came to faith in Christ. And over time, one by one, each of those family members were baptized. And I believe with all my heart that in this situation, the reason they were able to so easily see that family come to Christ and transfer churches with them, because there wasn't grumbling and complaining about the first church. Because they had left well, they were able to keep intact their testimony for the Lord, their love for fellow believers. They showed love for their home church and how they handled the situation. They showed love to the people that they were committed to. And they showed love to their new family. And as this 
non-believing family in the community witnessed what was happening on both sides, they saw a bright light that guided them safely into the harbor to refuge with Jesus Christ. They left well. Matthew chapter 15, verses 14 and 6 through 16 read like this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand that it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When a church is full of strife and bitterness and grumbling and complaining and unforgiveness and arguing, they cease to be a good reflection of Jesus Christ. They cease to shine in their community and to the world around us. And the world around us, all that is common. The bickering, the arguing, the dissension. That should not be part of the church. That should be not part of what others see. Because if they see that in a church, what it does is it, 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 it turns the community off. And what it does for families, and I've seen this over and over again, for families who are, are grumbling and complaining and they leave one church and, and then they go to another church and then they go to another church. When their children grow up, they look back and they say, what? Where was the love? Where was the grace? They look back and say, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. There was no love. There was no grace. Ralph Martin, a well-respected theologian, said this, The Philippians are called to set their own house in order so that God's purpose for them as a witnessing community may be fulfilled. Let me read to you from verses 14 and 15 once again, this time from the New Living Translation. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And now verse 16. Hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So what's the word of life? What, did, what are we holding out, holding forth to? John 1, 1 John 1, 1 through 1-4 says this. This is what we're to give attention to. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which is in the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The word of life is Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's salvation. It's the fact that Jesus Christ lived, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, went to a cross to be sacrificed for our sins, my sin, your sin, 
And that three days later, He rose again. That's the word of life. There's life found in Christ. That's what we hold fast to. The car you drive, the home you own, the type of iPhone you have or Android, how many zeros in your bank account behind that one, two, or three, none of that matters. All of that burns in the end. What matters is the love. What has eternal value? Loving one another. Loving one another despite our differences. Building into each other. Encouraging each other. Sharing with others in need. Holding out the word of life to others. Holding out the word of life to a dark world in great need. That has eternal value. Look at verse 16 again. Hold firmly to the word of life Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Want your life not to be lived in vain? Want your life not to be useless? Then serve people. Love people. Change your attitude to do all things. Now let's face it. It's easy enough to do some things without murmuring and complaining. But here, Scripture calls us to do all things without grumbling or murmuring. Not to argue. Scripture calls us to do all things without grumbling, complaining, and without arguing. Now, I must admit, I fall short of that mark. I may not be on this side or that side. I'm likely the guy sitting down going, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I want you to know I'm standing up on the inside. That's usually where I fall. And I fall short some days. And I have to learn it myself. That we live for the Lord. That we, when we have disagreements, it requires us to learn to be gracious. Gracious with one another. To have an attentive ear. To hear the other side of the story. To listen None of us have the corner on all truth, how all things should be done. I am so thankful that many years ago, I had a wise older gentleman teach me one word. Well, he taught me more than that, but one word that stands out to me was the word flexible. Flexibility versus resistance. Colossians 3.2, not setting my affections and ideas or plans which could be changed by God or others. And here's what the verse says. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things or not on things that are on earth. I like how that wise web page Wikipedia puts it. Flexibility is a personality trait that describes the extent to which a person can cope with changes in circumstances and that think about problems and tasks in a novel, creative ways. This trait is used when stressors or unexpected events occur, requiring a person to change their stance, outlook, or commitment. Learning to be flexible in our lives keeps us from being people who are grumbling and arguing. Not every hill is worth dying on. And as I get older... I shouldn't say older. As I mature, one thing that I have learned 
is that is so true. There are fewer hills to die on that I once believed. Yes, there are some truths to die on, but there are so many other things where grace and love need to take the center stage. And when we can do that, when we can grow in our love for one another, when we can understand that mumbling and grumbling and disputes and strife does no good for our health, ourselves, our churches, does no good for the Lord, then we can begin to shine as bright lights to our community in a dark and dying world. As believers, we need to lead by example. Changed heart leads to changed lives as we allow the Spirit of Christ to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it needs. That's what it's all about. The real solution isn't from politics. I don't care who we get in Ottawa or I do, but no matter who we get there, that's not going to solve our problems. Our problems are going to be solved when the message of Jesus Christ is taken to our community and when people bow before God ask for forgiveness of their sins, and commit to follow in His ways. That's what's really going to change communities in the world around us. That's what Scripture tells us again and again and again. As Paul shared, all of this, all that would bring him joy, he's reminded of his own situation. Look at the last two verses with me. Paul's Paul's joy, if if the church was to do this, Paul's joy would just be overwhelming. But as he thinks about that, he thinks of his present situation, which neither you and I would call joyful. Verse 17 and 18. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all, with you all. Likewise, you you also should be glad and rejoice with me. See, Paul's living in a world of tension right now. What's the verdict going to be? Is he going to live? Is he going to die? Even in this state, he rejoices. And he considers his life to be a, a drink offering to God. You can read about drink offerings in Numbers chapter 15. When they poured wine out onto the offering, it caused a, a sweet aroma to be lifted forward. And Paul counts everything. If, if the Philippians will live for Christ then he counts everything that he's going through as being worth it. As the church in Philippi continues to work out their salvation, to be shining as harbor lights would be, as they hold forth the word of truth to the neighbors around them, then, then, and only then is there reason for joy. Their faith amid the persecution they're suffering, the trials, they're go- trials that everybody's going through is worth it. It's worth it all. And he even invites the Philippian believers to celebrate that joy with him. Look at verse 17. Yes, you should rejoice. And remember, the Philippian believers were going through some things too. They said, yes, you should rejoice and I will share in your joy. We've talked about this for, before. If you want true joy, what is joy? What did we say the acronym was? Jesus and yourself. And contrary to popular belief, that's harder to live than it is to say. Being second is contrary to our flesh. Our natural tendency for most people 
there are some really good people I've met that don't tend this way, and I think it's because the Spirit of Christ is working through them, but the tendency to most people is to gripe and complain. Listen to people talk about the weather. It's too hot, it's too cold, there's too much rain, it's too dry, it's too cold. We go on on and on. Or if you eavesdrop two, three, or four men talking politics, that's interesting too, because there's no politician alive that can do anything right. And as you listen to them in their 15-minute conversation, they've solved the world's problems. My older brother that passed away, you could talk to him for 15 minutes and the world would be perfect if he was in charge. But put it however you like, whether we talk about politics or we talk about our workplaces, families, our neighbors, the road crew that doesn't fix the potholes on time, the deacons, did you see what the deacons did at the church? Or how about those elders? Or how about, how about, how about roast pastor at lunch? Sunday dinner, we're going to have roast pastor and potatoes. Paul is saying in the family of God, this ought not to be. Perhaps we need to grieve as children of the living God. Maybe we have to grieve for things we've murmured and grumbled about in the past ourselves. Maybe we need to take ownership. Maybe we need to grieve for the church as a whole after watching what has taken place in the last couple of years and commit to pray and to encourage one another in love. Hopefully in the next week, we'll see how it goes, but in the next week or so. I know you were staring at that all the time, weren't you? Fixated. I can't even see the board. I'm going to go out of view to your camera. Sorry. The board's right there. Right through this door. That board will become a prayer board. This could flop on me. I know this, but I'm going to do it anyhow. We're going to put prayer board up there. And if you have a prayer request, and you don't even have to put your name to it. You don't have to tell me who it is. You can just maybe say, I'm applying for a new job. You could say, putting our crops in this week, I'd appreciate prayer as we have to put extra hours in. You might be in retail and you might want to put a prayer request. Hey, pray that customers are civil when the masks come off. I don't know what you want to put down. But you put down and you don't necessarily have to even sign it. And I want you to do, we'll have something out there. So there'll be the white ones. And there'll be thumbtacks on the board. And you can put that prayer request on the board. I may never see it. Because the intention is that as you put something, out, something up, I want somebody else from the church to come along to that board and see that prayer request. And I want you to take it down. I want you to take it home with you. Put it in your Bible. Don't leave it in your Bible and don't forget about it, but put it in your Bible, take it home with you and go, you know what? I'm going to pray for this person. They may or may not have their name, but God knows who they are. And I'm going to take a week and pray for this person. So there'll be a prayer board. I want to encourage you to begin to pray for one another. Even if it's anonymous, that's fine. But I want you to pray for one another. Then the colorful cards. There's one more color. I couldn't get it out. But there's one more colorful card. The colorful cards. 
I am so thankful, Kim, I am so thankful for those, I'm assuming Kim wrote it, if Phil wrote it, I apologize, but I'm so thankful for those that tell us when God answers prayer. Much of my Christian life, I have prayed and prayed for people, and then sometimes months later, I think, whatever happened? I spent two weeks praying for them, or three weeks, or a month, or maybe I've been praying for them for six months or a year. Whatever happened? And I get some long-term prayer requests exist. And again, you don't have to sign it. While this is not to replace the family brief by any stretch of the imagination, these are just for you to begin to pray for one another. This one, if you pin it back up, we'll take it down so you can decide whether you want your name on there or not. And we'll list the praises in the family brief as we thank God for answered prayer. Because I'd like to see this church become a church that is known for their love for one another. I want this church to shine. And I, that's my prayer. And I know it's the prayer of the, the elders too. This church to shine forth in this community that it becomes known as a church of love and of graciousness and of care for one another. Care for the members and adherents that call this home. Care for Lambton Shores and Forest, the community that surrounds our church. They may not always agree with our doctrine, but I want them to know this is a refuge where they can come and people will care for them and pray for them and stand with them. In doing this, FBC becomes a lighthouse. And trust me, as you grow in love for one another, you will become that lighthouse, a safe harbor for people to come to where you point them to Jesus Christ. They'll learn that. Because when a church cares and loves for each other, it seeps out through the seams. It goes out the front door and it shows up in the world around us. They may not always agree with us, but one thing we can control is that they know we're a loving community of faith. That's where we need to be. A church that loves one another and loves the community where God has placed us. Let's pray. Father, as, this, as we move forward in the days ahead, there are new stresses with changes. And Father, as we look at grumbling and mumbling us, complaining and all the rest of it, that is so easy to do. Father, if we have participated in any way in our own lives, may we come before you and confess sin. May we learn new attitudes. May we learn to be flexible and understand this is not about us. The mission here is to love one another despite some of which we've caused hurt feelings and the rest of it. And to grow more in love with each other so that we don't hurt each other as much. Father, that we might not lose focus on the fact that we are here to be a lighthouse to the community a shining light in a dark, dark world. 
where people can find refuge, where people can find that we love Jesus Christ, that we're serious about that commitment, and that we follow through in our actions with one another, in our actions to the community, that they might find this to be a safe harbor where we all point the way to Jesus Christ, where others who don't know you by faith yet can come and hear of the message of Christ, not, not finding a perfect community, but finding a community that strives differently, that strives to be a light, that strives to share and to love one another. We thank you for these words in Paul, that how applicable they still are centuries later, how your word is so real and so relevant. So we thank you for it this morning. We pray that you will help us to grow in our love, to continue to kindle. Father, you've been so gracious to this community here. And there's been so many expressions of love, even in the six months that I have been here. May you continue to kindle that love in us, that that love will be serve as a shining light to the world around us. So, Father, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.